Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, where we have smart conversations about prenatal care, raising families, birth, babyhood, current events, politics, feminism, and then some. I hope you all celebrated the heck out of International Women's Day on Thursday. I've been super busy working on IWD content for my day job, which is podcasting and writing for Care and Care Action. So go check out those podcasts if you're interested in humanitarian work. It's the Care Action Podcast and Activists on the Line. And we, you know, if you're interested in humanitarian work or global women's empowerment or politics or advocacy, that sort of thing, which is sort of what I'm into, you'll find links to those podcasts over on over on my website, jeanfogler.com. And while you're over there on the website, check out the Civics for Cynics tab and send us an email if you're interested in having a workshop in your workplace or school that covers all the civics we forgot from high school. And we talk about how government works and how to figure out what part of the world you're meant to change and how to actually make a difference with advocacy and writing and more. Um, You can also pick up a copy of my book on the website, Common Sense Pregnancy, Navigating a Healthy Pregnancy for Mother and Baby, and I'll be happy to sign it and slip it in the mail super fast. Um, Let's see. Excuse me. Common Sense uh, Pregnancy and Parenting. We just recently moved over to a new hosting platform, Megaphone, and we're really happy to be over there. I'm hoping everybody's found us. Um, We're also, you know, you can find us on all your usual podcast places, Apple Media and Stitcher. Um, Let's see. I've been thinking about the name of this podcast, Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, and I'm wondering, you know what, maybe we need to just tweak it a little bit. Um, so that other parents who want to, you know, talk about, oh, all the inside track information about, you know, pregnancy and prenatal care and feminism and politics and healthcare so that they can find us a little bit easier and join the conversation. You know, I've, I've said it a lot. The more people who are taking part in conversations about women's health and women's experiences as parents and as individuals and as members of the workforce and as constituents of the United States and as global citizens in a world that's having a rough time, the more people who are talking about it, the more change is going to happen in the right direction. So let me know what you think about the name, Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. Just email me your opinion at gene at genefaulkner.com. Also, go find us over on Instagram. Um, We just did a fun book giveaway of uh, in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy for International Women's Day. And we'll be doing more of that coming up. So let's see, um, what else? So now, as I mentioned earlier, I spend a lot of my working hours writing and podcasting about the issues and challenges and you know the solutions and the successes of women all over the world. And I could not be more grateful for having such an awesome gig. Um, Truly, I love this. I love writing about this stuff and talking about it. It's really, really gives me a sense of meaning and purpose that I feel really fortunate to have. But it also means that I spend a fair amount of my time kind of immersed in the atrocities taking place in many parts of the world. You know, things like really extreme gender-based violence, hunger, conflict, you know, really severe refugee situations, bombings. And more horrors and tragedies than I really want to recount right here. Suffice it to say that at this moment in history, 
while we are the ones who are all on duty as guardians of the planet and humanity, we're kind of letting things fall apart. And we're especially failing too many women and leaving them behind. We're really letting truly horrific things happen to them and their children. And when I say we, I'm talking about we as Americans and as concerned global citizens. We're not taking the action we should be taking to stop famines from consuming starving countries. We're not investing enough in peacemaking, life-saving, women-empowering programs that stabilize entire countries. What happens when we neglect this kind of investment is that there's a ripple effect that reaches a woman's family, her community, and you know her ability to earn her own living. And when we're talking about entire communities of women, whether they're here in the United States or you know, on the other side of the world in a developing country, when lots of women are left behind or are traumatized or are unable to contribute the whole of who they are to the betterment of society, that's just a downright unspeakably tragic waste of potential and of human capacity and of creativity and of brilliance. It's a terrible way to treat our sisters, the women all over the world who are raising the next generation right at the same time as we are. So what can we do about it? You know, that for me is what International Women's Day and is really about. And that's where the politics come in. You know, we can make sure that our members of Congress know that we stand with women, all women, and that the U.S. should make sure that women's advancement and safety and health and opportunities and resources you know, make sure they're a huge priority, both in foreign policy and here, you know, policy here in the U.S. And we can donate to organizations like CARE or Every Mother Counts who are doing direct work with women in vulnerable situations. Um, you can join CARE Action and take part in advocacy efforts all over the country. You know, there's a million ways that you can help women right in your own community. And all I ask is that, you know, find your part, do your best to make life better for women. Now, I know a lot of you are probably more focused on what's going on for women right here in the U.S. And, you know, rightly so. We've got some issues. And, you know, especially if you're pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant or know someone who is, we've talked quite a lot on the podcast about how United States maternal health care isn't all that ex excellent across the board and that our maternal mortality and injury rates are way too high here. Now, one of my very favorite maternal health advocacy organizations, Every Mother Counts, is promoting uh, new legislation, and it's called the Improving Access to Maternity Care Act. That's Senate Bill 783. And it addresses the fact that one in four people live in areas here in the United States that have no health care providers. And that means that too many women have to drive an hour or more to access essential maternity care. This no-cost legislation has wide bipartisan support and uh, to bring midwives and obstetricians to these communities. So you can learn more and add your support for this bill uh, by just going on over to everymothercounts.org. Okay, so um, let's get to this week's guest. And um, this week's guest is going to help us understand just about the most important piece of the parenting puzzle, communication, communicating with your child, um, and teaching them how to communicate with the world. Ayelet Marinovich is a pediatric speech-language pathologist, a parent educator, 
a singer, and a mother based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's also the creator of Strength in Words, whose mission is to promote caregiver-baby interaction and support parent education through music, play, sensory experiences, and language-rich environments. Let's get Ayelet on the line. Hey there, Ayelet, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Jeannie? I'm doing really well. Thank you. So are you in the Bay Area? You're in San Francisco? I am about half an hour, 40 minutes south of San Francisco, right on the peninsula, tech capital of the world. Well, you're just down the street from me. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Yes, that's right. I actually went to, I did my undergrad in Portland at Reed College. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So Ayala, I read a little bit of your bio before we got you on the line here. So my first question for you is, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> so I am, my name is, of course, Ayelet. I am, professionally, I'm a pediatric speech language pathologist, which means <laughs> that I work primarily with families with infants and toddlers doing early intervention. So I work with little ones who are maybe not, who are delayed in the areas of speech and language and communication. Uh, But of course, that means that I work with their parents because tiny people um, learn through interaction and observation and, and, and imitation. And so that means that it's with the families that, mm-hmm. that a speech language pathologist would work. And so that's professionally sort of my background of what I had been doing. And then when I had my own little people, I, uh, I have gotten a lot more into the world of parent education because when my first was born just short of four years ago, I, my husband and I had moved across the world, across the pond to the UK. And we were, you know, thousands of miles from anything or anyone familiar. And then we became parents. (laughs) And as my baby grew, you know, I, I craved a place that I could sort of access that information, developmentally based information paired with, you know, simple and practical ideas that I could apply to those precious moments that I had to, to dedicate to my little one. And, you know, it, it was, it was hard being away from our family and, you know, friend group community of support. So we, we created our own. Uh, And so that has been what I've been working on for the last four years, actually, as my now two children have grown. I have grown a third baby, which is which is a, a community of support and a resource uh, that allows families to really um, learn about how their children learn uh, and create a, a place where we can, instead of that sort of divisive and prescriptive, overwhelming content that we get presented with day in, day out as parents of tiny people... Um, really create a place where you can, you know, where we can access developmentally appropriate information and that, that ideas that we can use right away from a trusted, reputable source and a 
community of support that we can rely on to, to be there in our moments of need. They can find that information over at strengthinwords.com, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so how old are the kids? So I have a one-year-old. He just turned one on the 6th of January. Mm-hmm. And right now it's the the 16th. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then I have an almost four-year-old. He'll be four on the 26th. So Oh, you're raising brothers. I'm right there in the thick of it, raising little brothers. And they are yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they are. Four. That's That was always my challenging. I, mm. I've, I've always found four-year-olds to be super challenging. And I've, <laughs> I've said it before on my podcast. That's where I go. I go pick up the book, you know, yeah. <laughs> your four-year-old. Because, you know, I'm great it's- at many of the other ages, but four. Woo. How's your right. four-year-old treating you? He's all right. Uh, we've had a, we've had a tough three, three year, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we, we, obviously age three is rough in general. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of personal and independent excitement. And we also, you know, added a lot to the mix for him. We changed country. We started preschool. We added a brother. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. It was a crazy year. Yeah. Well, um, let's get a little bit back to to you and who you are. You're also a singer, is that right? I am, yeah. yeah. And I, I love hearing about people's creative lives. Tell me about <laughs> yours. Sure. So I I growing up was a, a big I, I loved musical theater. I loved performing and all those things and and um did a lot of performance in college, after college, and and then after I moved back here and I was back going to grad school to become a speech-language pathologist, I met up with a few old friends and we created a Western swing band and performed all over the Bay Area doing that. And that was fun. Fun. <laughs> it was great. And then, and then, of course, you know, having kids um, doesn't, for me anyway, was not terribly conducive to staying out late and performing. So (laughs) I actually channeled that, my creative side into the work that I do, because a lot of what I, I do with strength in words is um, helping families understand the value of uh, musical experiences. So Mm -hmm. I do a ton of singing on my podcast and, um, and with my work. Uh, which is great. And I love it because it, it really, it's such a, such a creative outlet and lets me explore that um, in a way that is both entertaining for, for me and for my children Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, as well as, you know, just, just fun. Yeah. And with my four-year-old, I'm really starting it, all of that, you know, all that music that I, that we did together uh, is finally starting. I'm seeing it from him, which is so neat. He starts, he now sings and, um, and real, you know, it shifted from him getting into that, you know, I'm three, I can tell everybody else what to do. Don't sing mama to then having a baby brother who, of course, we know babies react very 
positively usually to music. And um, that's and why he, we invented lullabies, right? Exactly. And he <laughs> could see how much when when I sung or we sung to his baby brother, how much that calmed him. So it went from mama, don't sing to you need to sing to him to make him stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> sing it, mama. <laughs> yeah. So I've been telling people, you know, when we when you get into that, uh, that year three, which tends to be, you know, more defiant or, or independent behavior, you know, just, just have another baby and you'll, you'll, you'll oh, be yeah, able to that'll sing. do it. You know, yeah. that, that helps everything, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how'd you find your way into this career? <laughs> which one? <laughs> the, the pathology. Ah, yeah. So I, um, well, like I said, I, I, was always interested in performance and in sort of narrative building and stories. And, um, that, that was where I came from. And then I, I started, I had moved to, I moved to New York after college and mm -hmm. I, I was working for a, um, makeup company and I was a makeup artist doing, you know, trend shows all over the city. And that was really fun. And I, I loved that because I could really get in one-on-one -on -one with people and like talk, talk to them and hear their own conceptions of themselves. And that was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, so I knew that after sort of trying to build a career in the performing arts, I just got burned out. And, and I knew that I loved working with people and mm -hmm. I knew I loved working with language and with communication and someone, I think I was working at a school at the time and the, the reading specialist there was like, you know, you should really look into language therapy. And I, I thought, oh, sure. So I, you know, I, <laughs> I typed in a Google search and thought, oh yeah, I think I knew a speech therapist once. And then of course you start talking to people and they, everyone it's one of those careers that everyone has some experience with. Oh, mm -hmm. my aunt was a speech therapist. I got speech therapy when I was a kid or mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. So I started talking to people and I started researching it. And it was, it just hit all those things that I thought, oh, I really like that. You know, there, as a career, it's, it's something that you can work with lots of different populations. You can work in lots of different kinds of settings. You can work for yourself or for someone else or, and, and sort of reinvent yourself every few years. And I don't know, my, my grandfather had this, uh, this um, sort of theory of every 10 years we should repot ourselves. And I, I loved that. I grew up with that instilled in me. And so the idea of finding a career that I could sort of do that within, mm -hmm. it's really appealing. So yeah, so I've, I've been, I've been repotting myself lately, which is great. <laughs> I like that. I like that too. Yeah. So what circumstances bring parents to your offices? Mm, um, some, well, with the, with the tiny people, um, it's a lot of, you know, sort of oftentimes the, the child is not meeting milestones, um, in the area of communication, of course. So whether, whether that child is just 
simply delayed in speech and language milestones. Um, that, that tends to be a big one. Sometimes it can be um, an underlying, you know, medical condition. Uh, of course, we, we know certain things when, when children are born with things like a cleft palate or Down syndrome or any kind of, you know, anomaly, quote unquote, um, that early intervention is very effective. So the earlier, the better. Um, and we don't have to wait until a child is delayed to, <laughs> with children who have underlying conditions to approach communication. Um, and like I said before, it's all, it really, so much of it is about parent education and helping parents understand what they can do to really, um, you know, support their children's development. And infants and toddlers learn holistically, meaning that, you know, when you are working on or communication, you're also, they're also learning about movement and learning about concepts and cognition and learning and, and being supported socially and emotionally. So um, it really, you know, we, we support each other and we work collaboratively with other professionals when, when the need is there. And that's sort of a big part of why I love early intervention is because it is a very collaborative approach. Do you, are you seeing um, sort of an uptick in business now that more and more parents are becoming aware of you know, autism spectrum disorder? Um, I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways it, because there is so much awareness and I think it's a wonderful thing that there is so much awareness, but sometimes that awareness breeds, um, anxiety. And yeah. so, you know, we hear, you know, oh, your child should, you know, should be waving at this age. And then, then instead of focusing on, you know, creating opportunity to do things like greeting and, and in the context of play and routine, we, we feel like, oh, well, I need my child to wave to me. So here, I'm going to wave to you. So you wave back to me. And then when they don't do it, oh God, does he have autism? You know, right. Um, right. And, and we do this to ourselves. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's so, you know, and of course we have so many places on the internet and everywhere telling us, you know, about how, how we should, we need to know this and we need to do that and we need to buy this thing. And it's, you know, yeah. That's sort of my bad. mission is to to simplify. <laughs> yeah, and you know um, we always we always hear the story about the kid who never uttered a single word until he was like two and a half, and then he looks up and says, "Mom, can you hand me the peanut butter?" Right. <laughs> you know. You know that's a big one. We like telling that story. <laughs> I like that story a lot. My son's very first um, sentence was sort of reflective of how kids absorb everything that's going on around them. And it was first thing in the morning, he was on my hip and he says, mm -mm, hot cup of car. I was making himself <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Of course, he'd been a chatterbox since the get go, but there you go. 
Oh, that's so great. And yeah. you know, it's funny because that like you can tell that he not only did he say it back to you, mm-hmm. but he he clearly said it with the same intonation, the same <laughs> sense of satisfaction that he knew you were about to get. Yep. That's great. Yep. He understood. <laughs> he understood the, the value and worth of a mm, good hot cup of coffee. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we don't want parents to overworry. And, you know, as you med- mentioned, they do the waving and the baby doesn't wave back. And, you know, maybe it's because their child has a communication disorder, but maybe it's because they don't really want to wave at you right then. Yeah. <laughs> so what should parents do if they're worried their child isn't communicating, you know, at milestone or mm-hmm. what should they do? Sure. So, I mean, I think the first thing is to seek out resources that are uh, in your area, right? So certainly the first thing to do is to talk to your pediatrician or family physician um, about that. Uh, You know, it's hard because I think sometimes physicians are either of the one on are on either end of the spectrum. um, And sometimes the wait and see approach is not necessarily what what should be done. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the other hand, like some, you know, sometimes it's, there is no, no issue. So, so I think the best thing to do is number one, go talk to somebody because if you are concerned, the best thing to do is to ease your mind. Absolutely. Um, Even if all you do is get in there and they tell you everything's fine. Reassurance is priceless. It's so important. And as parents, that's all we need is peace of mind, right? That is the greatest gift someone can give to us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I (laughs) like to uh, tell my listeners that almost all the time, mostly in most circumstances, everything's fine. Yes, it's true. And then another, you know, there are resources out there that are, that are helpful as far as, um, as, especially with communication development, the American Speech Language and Hearing Association, ASHA, their website, asha.org, has a lot of uh, resources, both for professionals and for parents, about early you know, milestones in communication development. But I think the most important thing to remember is that development happens you know, all over the place. <laughs> and what I mean by that is when, especially in those early years, we see, you know, mountains and valleys, and oftentimes things happen or seem to happen all at once. Uh, and then we don't see anything for a little while sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, and I think a few things about that is that number one, you know, we, we want to always just be creating opportunities within our daily routines, whether those are caregiving routines like, um, you know, diaper changing and, and bathing and things like that, or whether they're routines like, you know, going to get the mail um, or play routines like, you know, playing peekaboo or singing nursery rhymes. Um creating opportunities to communicate, to add things like ritual um, so that young children can anticipate things, uh, transitions, know that a transition is coming, um, 
or or know the the next step of mm-hmm. something that we usually do. Yeah. Um, those are those are the times and the moments that are really useful. And whether you work full time out of the home or the home is your work, you know, we can all do those things. Yeah. Um because uh, I think it's that's another place where we get stuck, you know, oh, am I providing the right amount of support to my child? Am I you know, I work full time, you know, am I, am I giving my kid everything he needs? Well, yeah, <laughs> there are, are, there are, you probably are exactly. And, and there are tiny little things, um, that you can do to maximize, you know, those interactions and those precious moments that you have. Um, and I think, you know, and for parents who are home all day, it's hard to sometimes, you know, we, we get stuck in the daily grind of what needs to be done, the physical care, the home care, the, you know, getting errands done and the, the things that we have to do that sometimes it can be, you know, we question whether or not we're, we're doing all the things that we should be doing for our children. And well, yeah, I mean, if you're sitting there folding the laundry and you have a little helper sitting there, just, you know, what, what we need is what our kids need is to feel close to us um, and to, to have opportunities to interact with us so that they can observe and imitate um, just like what your son did with the, with the coffee. Right. Yeah. He did something else that was just hysterically funny. It was like his very first joke. And I don't remember how old he was, but he was probably two. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about, you know, the little routines you set up Yeah, and, you know, just, kind of a goofy, stupid thing that we all, I would say when I was changing my kids' diapers was, you know, you'd have them on their back, they'd have the diaper off, and then I'd say, legs up, little pup, wipe their butt, legs down, little clown, and then, you know, we'd snap on the diaper. Perfect. So he was about two years old, and he says, pup, pup, poop, poop, I'm a clown, that's funny. And he said it. (laughs) He said it completely deadpan. He didn't even laugh, but it was like... (laughs) Pup, poop, clown. See, that's funny. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And I he, still remember it. I mean, he was able to so great. Yeah. He was able to play with that language because he had been provided it. And he heard it in, hundreds in, in and hundreds yeah. of times. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Kids are amazing. They are. They're so they fun. Are. They are a little fun. <laughs> there are still some parents out there who, you know, they're just not enculturated to talk to their kids or Mm -hmm. for some reason, you know, verbal communication just isn't a big deal for them. So there's less opportunity. And, you know, I, I know, I know women who are quiet women, they're not chatterboxes Mm -hmm. and they don't want to talk all day. And they feel some concern that in order to be the appropriate parent for that child, they have to talk all the time. And, right. you know, that's not necessarily the case, though, you know, making an effort is pretty important. <laughs> sure. I think it's hard, too. I mean, especially when you have this teeny tiny, you know, a, an infant, a newborn, or even up to year one when they're, you know, they're starting to become interactive. But, I think sort of the the hard thing for a lot of people is we've learned we as grown-ups we 
many of us have forgotten how to play and what mm-hmm. play looks like. And we have this sort of expectation that books are for reading and blocks are for stacking and that is how you play. So, so what do I do with this little person who just wants to mouth everything or, you know, <laughs> what, what am I going to say all day without looking quote unquote, like a crazy person or, and right. is this even beneficial? And I think, you know, the key is really following our children's lead and mm-hmm. talking about what we're doing, just just narrating. And, yeah. you know, some people describe that as sort of the, the radio announcer voice, right? Just I'm, I'm picking up this, I'm picking up your legs so that we can change your diaper. And oh, my goodness, how stinky and, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever it is, just talking um, about what you're doing, what your child is doing, and what's happening in the environment. Those are the kinds of things that we can focus on um, when we're having a hard time sort of thinking about what to say. Uh, and then in, in terms of, you know, play, what um, just, just talking about what's going on uh, in front of us. If our child is, um, you know, holding a, um, t- is touching the the bottom of a laundry basket to, to use that laundry example, just because mm-hmm. it's the bane of my existence and I'm always <laughs> doing the laundry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, you know, if, if you have a little person who's banging on that laundry basket, you know, most likely there's some kind of rhythm that they're banging to. And if you can harness that rhythm and make it into a, a song or a, or a, you know, a nursery rhyme that you remember, um, then great. And, and again, I think, you know, we, we get stuck in, oh, I don't remember any songs. I don't know any, I don't remember that nursery rhyme, or I remember the beginning, but I can't remember the end. And I'm just going to look silly. Well, they don't know. They didn't know the they're words not exactly either. The, they're not the most discerning musical connoisseurs, number one. And no, number mom, two, you got like, that all wrong. <laughs> and number two, you know, if you, we, we don't have to remember the words, we can make up our own. Yeah. You know, yeah. we get stuck in that linear thinking again, you know, A plus B equals C. Well, no, for these guys, they're just the world is a constant experiment. The world is, you know, a lab (laughs) and everything that they are doing is, is all about learning more about it and they're problem solving and they are, you know, figuring out the properties of things. And, and that's what play looks like, right? Play is not pushing a button and having a sound come out. I mean, that's, that's cause and effect. That's a part of that's one kind of play. Yeah. But that's why things like, you know, open-ended materials like a laundry basket, which can become, you know, <laughs> something that we can get into and move around in or uh, a part of an obstacle course or a drum or, you know, something we can stick things into the holes of. I mean, it can be anything. <laughs> the yeah. world is our oyster. And that's it can be anything. Yeah, exactly. That's what play is and looks like. And really, if when we follow what our kids are doing, and then take it one step further, whatever that step is, that's how we teach our children. That's how our children learn. That's how we form those bonds and, and nurture them. And that's how we make great kids. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> what about babies in bilingual and multilingual homes? Do you have any yeah. special, special tips or concerns? Uh, I mean, all the research. So, and it's hard because I think for for many years, uh, 20 years ago and before, there were many, many concerns and pretty bad research um, coming out about Oh, you're gonna you're gonna hurt your kids, but <laughs> no, no, no. Um, brains are very, very cool and, and very, very malleable. And when we can, um, you know, give input that our children can, you know, take stat- statistics with and really figure out. Um, what, what is the code that's being input here and what is it out over there? When we give our kids information from language, from multiple languages, what an amazing, amazing thing we are doing for our kiddos. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you and your partner speak a different, two different languages, um, or if your language, your home language is different from your community language, no problem. Give that input. That's great stuff. Um, and there's wonderful things that go on as far as how that affects your a child's ability to attend um, and to discern and, and not to mention all the sort of auditory awareness that's going on. And it, it's great. Um, yeah. If, if anyone has, you know, questions about whether or not you know, to, to help, you know, create a bilingual child. Um, it's, it's a great thing. And I have, um, I have a podcast episode about that called bilingual babies. If anyone is curious about that. Um, it's always, you know, you, you think that kids are going to get confused and yet mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity to speak with multilingual babies. They never get it wrong which language they need to speak to which person. They yeah. know exactly what they're doing as part they of their learning process. They figure yeah. out you speak, you know, Chinese to this parent, you speak Spanish to this parent. You speak yep. in school, you speak, you know, whatever, whatever. the home. language yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, kids mm -hmm. are so smart. They figure it out. They are. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, we've been talking for quite some time here, and I still have a couple questions I want to ask you. Is there, before we, we do our wrap-up questions, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know? Oh, gosh. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing is we, we don't need a lot as far as, as far as our kids are concerned. Our kids don't need a lot. It's all mm -hmm. about simplicity. It's all about that interaction. So anytime someone, you know, tries to convince you that you need this or that, or this is the best thing to do, or that is the best purchase that you can make, you know, all of our little ones are different and all each family has its own needs and set of circumstances. And I think those all in one sort of one size fits all resources are rough. Yeah. Um, and really can do major damage to us as, as, as empowered parents. You know, we, um, I think personally what's helped me 
um, from the beginning is, is having a, just a basic understanding about how our little people develop, how they learn so that, um, so that we, so that I could really feel like I, I could support my kids. Um, I mean, it certainly doesn't, you know, it doesn't make everything better mm-hmm. and parenting infants and toddlers is hard, but when we have that basic understanding about how tiny humans develop and learn all over the world, regardless of what language they speak or languages, uh, and regardless of, you know, socioeconomic status, culture, all of those things, you know, I like to say parent is the great parenthood is the great equalizer. We are all responsible for, for, for teaching tiny humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when we have an understanding about how they grow, then we can feel more empowered and we can feel more confident as parents. And then ultimately that connects us to our own conception as our, of ourselves as parents and also connects us to our children, which is what really what it comes down to, what it's right. all about. Right. So how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever <laughs> told me that. <laughs> Nobody ever told me that. I, oh gosh, hmm, that's a good question. It's a doozy, isn't it? Yeah, I could go so many different directions. Feel free, <laughs> feel free. Nobody ever told me that. Well, nobody ever told me that I'd have two boys. That's a surprise, <laughs> huh? Nobody ever told me that um, that sense of that that tiny boys are obsessed with their penises so early. Can I say that? Immediately from the beginning, <laughs> they are obsessed. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> so then my last question for you is, where are you in your life as a mom? Mm. Evolving. Mm, <laughs> Constantly yes. evolving. Yes. Uh, I mean, that doesn't ever stop, I don't think. I mean, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I have adult children. As far as I yeah. can tell, it doesn't stop. No, I don't I don't think why well, because we're 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 people. We never stop growing and changing. So right, right. Yeah, I, I guess evolving is is really the answer. But um finding a new sense of balance for sure. Um now that my youngest is where my husband likes to call the that infant period the the tunnel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and when you add a second child or multiple ch- children to the mix. I think um, he likes to use the the metaphor of that. Have you seen that movie Inception, where that's like these multiple levels of dream states? But basically, he's like, "Oh, I don't know. I think we're we're in like level four, but I, I think soon we'll be in level two. I think we'll be all right." <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're coming right out too. of. We're coming out of it, which is nice. Yeah. And just about the time you come out of it, you're going to go back into it because your one-year-old is going to push you through the tunnel. (laughs) The next tunnel. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been really a pleasure speaking with you, Ayelet. And I want everybody to know that they can learn more about you at strengthinwords.com. That's right. Right? Thanks, Jeannie. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure. It's been fun. We'll talk again. Sounds great. 
Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said. Our guest today was Ayelet Marinovich, and you can learn more about her work at www.strengthinwords.com. You can learn more about the Improving Access to Maternity Care Act by heading on over to everymothercounts.org. And you can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com. Tweet me at genefaulkner, email me gene at genefaulkner, and let me know what you think about changing the name of the podcast to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Picture Studios. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.